Now, I'm going to jump right in this morning and continue a sermon series that I started last week that's called God's Dream for Your Family. Now, I'm not sure if we can really fully appreciate or realize how different, there we are, how different the world that our children are growing up in from the world that you and I grew up in because of how fast everything is changing. Now, this is not a new reality. Things do change quickly. If you were a kid who grew up in the 1940s, you grew up to World War II, to rationing, to the Glenn Miller van, to superheroes on the evening radio. If you grew up in the 1950s, you grew up in the post-World War II boom. Your family got your first black and white television when you were a kid. You lived during the dawn of the nuclear age. You said, I like Ike, and you had hula hoops that you played with, and soda fountains that you visited, and this new cultural phenomenon called teenagers. You listened to Elvis Presley, and there was this thing called the Cold War that began, and everyone was afraid of the USSR and the fight for communism, which landed many, many men in Korea to fight. And then in the 60s, you had the Beatles and LSD and a whole bunch of assassinations, and G.I. Joe, and Barbie, and Matchbox Cars, the Summer of Love, the Sexual Revolution, Vietnam's, the Civil Rights Era, the Hippie Movement, JFK, and the Space Race, Walter Cronkite in the evenings, the moon landing, your first color TV, and a decade marked by protesting in the streets. Kids in the 70s grew up with Charlie's Angels and Star Wars and Disco and the Happy Days and MASH and Saturday Night Fever and Roe vs. Wade and Pinball and the Doobie Brothers and Led Zeppelin and Watergate and your 8-track player, the Vietnam War, the anti-war movement, the energy crisis, all while this Cold War grew and grew and the threat of nuclear war continued. Kids in the 80s, that's one of me, grew up with the war on drugs, AIDS, MTV, more Star Wars, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Space Shuttles, E.T., Cabbage Patch Kids, Pac-Man, Cassette Tapes, The Walkman, their Nintendo, Michael Jackson, Cable TV, and the fall of the Berlin Wall. If you were a kid in the 90s, you grew up with a personal home computer. The Simpsons and Friends and Seinfeld and the steroid era of sports. Michael Jordan and Whitewater, Monica Lewinsky, O.J. Simpson, rap music, the World Wide Web which nobody knew what it was, AOL, Yahoo, Alta Vista, Nirvana, the Gulf War, LA riots, the Oklahoma City bombing, and the portable compact disc player, and Y2K, ooh, Y2K. Kids in the first decade of the 2000s grew up with 9-11, the War on Terror, the Department of Homeland Security, American Idol, Harry Potter, South Park, MySpace, Google, Hannah Montana, more Star Wars, Hurricane Katrina, the Asian tsunami, Iraq and Afghanistan, Nickelodeon, the internet, cell phones, online, pornography, Napster, the economic crisis, satellite television, school shootings, Osama bin Laden. Kids who grew up in the 2010s and 2020s are growing up in a world with Taylor Swift and Drake, Marvel and more Star Wars movies, Frozen, Android and iPhones, apps, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, 
streaming, sexting, the second sexual revolution, LGBTQIA2S+, climate change, political division, protest, impeachments, human trafficking, race riots, Occupy Wall Street, BLM, COVID-19, refugees, more school shootings. And our kids today are being asked to grow up incredibly quickly. They see more, they hear more, the information that they consume is just happening faster all the time. Sex, sexuality, gender identity permeates aspect of our lives and culture that we never, ever could have even imagined would become normalized. As families, uh, I have a a seven-year-old about to be eight and a five-year-old. We are having to have conversations in our home that we are totally unprepared to have. We're having to talk about things because our culture is so loud about areas that we're not ready to talk about. But yet, if we don't talk about them, friends, then the only discipling that our kids are getting is coming from our culture. See, being a parent has always been challenging, but right now it seems like it's happening so fast that it can feel overwhelming. So let me ask you all a question right at the start today. How many of you would like to discover God's dream for your families? Well, yeah, okay, I'm I'm in on that. How many of you would like to see your family serve the Lord? Okay. So with those two questions in mind, I want to look at the Old Testament at the book of Joshua. And I want to look at Joshua. Joshua, who was the ruler of the nation of Israel after Moses. That's big job. Those are big shoes to fill. After Moses led God's people out of captivity and the, through their years of grumbling in the wilderness, Moses and that entire previous generation pass away in the wilderness and Joshua is given the responsibility to lead God's people across the Jordan River into the promised land where they're going to take hold of this age-old promise that God had made to Abraham. And at the very end of Joshua's life, after they've successfully conquered and and settled the promised land, he's going to speak one last time as a leader and father of a nation. And he's going to, in this speech, talk about some really important stuff. And I want to look at four of the things specifically that Joshua talks about, because I believe that if we will look at these and we will really live out these truths that we can help our family to follow and find God's dream for their lives. So here's number one. If you're a note taker, right off the bat, we've got number one. Number one is to build a grace-based family. Number one is build a grace-based family. Now, as Joshua recounts the story of their conquest of the promised land, he reminds them that the Lord is the one who accomplished all of this. Let's look at it. Joshua 24, 11 through 13. When you crossed the Jordan River and came to Jericho, the men of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I gave you victory over them, and I sent terror ahead of you to drive out the two kings of the Amorites. It was not your sword or bows that brought you victory. I gave you land that you had not worked on. I gave you towns that you didn't build, the towns where you are now living. I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you did not plant them. 
See, what God is speaking through Joshua right here at the very beginning is that he wants the people to remember that God was their source. God was their supply. God was their provision. And they owed everything to God. You see, because what happens is Israel won battle after battle after battle. And when you're successful like that, you can start to feel like, look at how great we are. Look at what we accomplished. Look at what we have done. But as soon as we start thinking like that, it's incredibly amazing how fast thoughts like that become deadly. See, because Joshua knew once the people began to take credit for their own victories, they would turn away from their need to follow, obey, and serve the Lord. So God reminded them. And God did this over and over. God reminds them that he didn't choose them because they were strong. He didn't choose them because they were great. He didn't choose them for, because of what they had to offer as a nation. In fact, he told this through Moses, Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8. It says, The Lord didn't set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. And he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. This is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. God chose them. Why? Because he loved them. It wasn't because of how great and strong. It wasn't because of their inner potential. It was because he's a loving, kind, promise-keeping dad. In fact, this is good news for you and I. The same thing is still true today. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-28, about you and I. It says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all and use them to bring to nothing that the world considers important. And use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. God chose you and I. Why? Because he loves you. It's not because you are great. It's not because of how awesome you are. It's not because you're inner tiger. God chose you because he loves you. God took a bunch of nobodies, that's us, right? And saved us and called us. It's by grace that we're saved, not by works, so that no man can boast. So let me ask you a question. Has God blessed you? Okay. Has God been gracious towards you? If you answered yes, then here's the responsibility. You need to talk about that often. You see, we ought to do the same thing Joshua did with the nation of Israel with our family on a regular basis. We need to review God's grace and his blessing on our lives with our family. You need to write it down. You need it in a place that you can come back to it and remind your family, your kids, your relatives of God's blessing on your life. You need to be able to say to your kids, kids, do you remember when we were sick and we prayed and God was gracious and he brought healing to our bodies? Kids, do you remember when dad lost their job 
job and we didn't know where the money would come from and God was gracious and he took care of us. See, one of the best ways that you can protect your family against backsliding is by regularly rehearsing God's grace and blessing that he's shown you in your life so that it becomes a natural part where you think, I can't do life without God. Look at all of the blessings and all the grace that he's shown our family for generations. You see, when you pass away, is there something that will tell your family, the family that's not even born yet, of the grace that God has shown you? Do your stories end with you? Or is there a legacy that you have passed down to your family of God's incredible grace? You know, this is why God commanded the nation of Israel to have all of the feasts and festivals. The feasts and the festivals were meant as an intentional time where the whole nation would stop the busyness of life and be reminded and remember what God has done for them as a people. We need that too, friends. We need to slow down and stop and have periods of time as a family that we are saying, remember what God has done. Because let me just tell you, friends, there's trouble ahead for all of your families. Now, that's not me prophetically speaking. It's just the reality of life. There is trouble ahead. Everyone's life experiences seasons of trouble. And in your season of trouble, you need to be well-armed and protected with this truth in your mind. God is good, and He's been gracious to us in the past. So, in this situation, I believe He'll also be gracious. You see, David said it like this, Psalm 103.2. Let all that I am... Praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things He does for me. May I never forget them. May I never forget. Has God blessed you? Has He helped you? Then friends, write it down. There's no thing too big and there's no thing too small. Write them down. Talk about them. Make a habit of a regular routine and rhythm of your family life to to tell the story of what God has done. And parents, if you know the stories of your parents and their parents, make sure you tell them to your kids. Pass on the generations of stories that you possess so that they don't end with you. Because what a legacy to be able to pass on what God has done in our families. Here's number two. Number two is we have to teach our families how to worship God. We teach our families how to worship God. Joshua 24, 14 says this. So fear the Lord and serve Him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. Now, when you hear this term, the fear of the Lord, what is it that comes to your mind? See, because I think for a lot of people, when they hear fear the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They hear fear the Lord, and they think about cringing or cowering in fear or terror. But the biblical concept of fearing the Lord is so much different and so much bigger than that. See, when the Bible says that we are to fear the Lord, what that means is that we are to have a deep respect and reverence and awe for God and His power and His authority and His rulership and His lordship, that it should produce in us awe and wonder and reverence. And how do you share something like awe and wonder and reverence with other people? 
How do you share that? It seems so personal. But see, here's the thing. I think it's much more of an atmosphere that we live in than a program that we try to teach. Let me explain that. When you as a parent or as a family member really truly fear God, then your kids get to be first row eyewitnesses to your relationship with the Lord. You see, when parents love the Lord, and I'm not just talking about loving the Lord when everyone's watching. I'm not just talking about loving the Lord on Sunday morning when you bring the kids after the big argument in the car and you say, now we have to behave ourselves because we're at church, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the way you truly live your faith. Uh, Your kids are watching you. Your kids know what things are important to your life. Your kids know what you really value. Not the stuff you say you value but the stuff you truly value. If you want your kids to worship the Lord, then the first responsibility you have as a parent is to be a worshiper of the Lord. To truly have a real dynamic relationship with God. Do you want your kids to know how to pray when they grow up? Then pray with them. Then pray in front of them. Pray regularly over them. Pray with them. When something's going wrong, stop with them and say, we could pray about this right now. Model it. Teach it. Show that it's important to you as a value. Let your kids see it. Let your kids hear it. When you tithe, when you offer offerings, talk to your family about it. Don't give just in secret. Let your kids be in on it. Let your kids know that giving is a value our family has and here's why. Maybe your kids get to see that coming to church is important because you had something else you could have done, but you chose this morning to come here instead. Talk about that with your kids because your faith is always better caught than taught. Now, you got to teach it too. You need words and you got to teach it and you got to have specific. It's not just watch me. You got to also tell them, but you also, your actions have to. Renee just read it for us, James 2.14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it with your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? See, your family sees through your empty words. Your family knows the way you treat your spouse. The family knows the way you discipline your kids. The kids know. So if they know you're one way at home and another way at church, then they immediately begin to think this is all a bunch of nonsense because we say one thing, but then we get home and it's an entirely different story. I saw this picture recently um, from Norman Rockwell. And it's a famous picture from the Saturday Evening Post. And in it, you see uh, the the oldest uh, sister leading their way off to church, mom behind, the next sister, and the reluctant little boy. Now, the reluctant little boy is looking over at dear old dad, slumped down in his chair, smoking his cigarette, reading the comics, hiding, because he knows he should be going with them, but he's going to stay home. Now, If this is what you grew up with, you have to understand, what does it tell your kids? What lesson is being learned here? The the, the reality is what begins to be put into our family and our kids' life is that once you are old enough, then, you know, you don't really have to do this stuff because it's really not that important. What's more important is some me time. 
And, and you can just see the fruit that this has year after year in generations of the family. Our actions, especially when it comes to our faith, speak much louder than our words. And so if you want to create a family who worships the Lord, then this is not rocket science, ready? You worship the Lord. Now, is that guaranteed? Nope. Because remember, this whole thing of free choice and each of us being able to make decisions on our own still plays in, but do you want him to have a good foundation? Do you want him to have as good a chance and as good of opportunity as possible? Then you yourself live your faith. Worship the Lord. Talk about the Word of God. Around the table, talk about what God has done. Talk about how you live your life and what your faith means to your life so that their foundation is built as solid and as strong as you as a parent can build. And then the responsibility is shifted to them to make a choice for what they will do with the foundation that they've been given. Here's decision three. Decision three is to become a student of obedience. Become a student of obedience. Let's look one more time at Joshua 24, 14. Fear the Lord and serve Him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. Now, one thing you might notice is the word serve is used in two verses, this one and the next one, six different times. Joshua uses the word serve six different times in just two verses. When the Bible is so repetitive, what do we teach you? When the Bible is repeating an idea over and over and over again, what is it trying to get us to do? Pay attention. Notice what he's saying. And over and over he's saying we need to serve the Lord. We need to serve the Lord. And he adds to this wholeheartedly. In, a, in your translation it may say, in all faithfulness. Don't just serve the Lord half-heartedly. Don't just serve Him on Sunday. Serve Him wholeheartedly, holistically, in all faithfulness, in every area of your life. Is your faith the core of who you are? Is it at the center? Is your worldview shaped by your faith? Are your politics shaped by your faith? Is everything else, the way you parent, the way that you're a spouse, the way that you're a friend, is all of it start with, what is my faith? What does the Lord say? What does His Word say? Or do I go and try to justify my life and my actions by looking for a verse that gets me a get-out-of-jail-free card. See, friends, every aspect of our life needs to be submitted to the Lord. There are no hidden rooms of our life that we get to compartmentalize and keep just for ourselves. Well, you know, I'm mostly submitted to the Lord, but this one thing over here, I'm keeping that for myself. That doesn't work. The Bible commentator, Matthew Henry, he calls these things, these idols in our lives, he calls them dunghill deities. Dunghill deities. He says they've got no power to save you or to help you, but they have a whole bunch of power to corrupt you. And so we are called as believers to get rid of these dunghill deities, to get rid of these idols. See, God wants to help you. He wants to protect you. We have this view of God often that he's this like miserly father sitting on the throne who's stingy, and he's like this cosmic killjoy, and he just wants to not let us have any real fun. He wants to keep us from the good stuff that we can get for ourselves. But did you know that? That's the original lie all the way back to the Garden of Eden. 
Do you remember the original lie that the devil told Adam and Eve? The devil told Adam and Eve that God was keeping something good from them. It says that they saw that it was good to eat. And then the devil comes along and says, you know, God's really keeping good things from you. No, you won't die. I know you know what God said. I know that God said that, but he didn't actually mean it. He didn't mean it. And look, it's good. He's keeping good from you. In fact, you can be just like him. See, listen to the truth of this. Just think of this for a minute. Everything God had made, he said it was good, right? And then he said of Adam and Eve that they were very good. And at the center of all creation, he created a perfect garden so that every single longing need that God had built and designed into us would be met for Adam and Eve. It was a perfect place where nothing good would ever be withheld from them. And yet the devil comes along in the midst of all of this goodness and says, oh, God's keeping good from you. And friends, the same thing is true for you and I today. God is calling us to live obedient lives because He actually knows what's best for you better than you do. He knows what seeds to sow into your life that lead to a harvest of righteousness, and He also on the flip side knows what seeds you're sowing in your life that lead to destruction, that lead to death and despair. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. You see, the idea here is, friends, that when we are obedient to God, it actually is good for us. Unlike eating here on this earth, when oftentimes we say you got to eat the good stuff that's healthy for you, sometimes the good stuff that's healthy for you is not our favorite stuff, right? Anyone else but me going to be honest here and say that eating all your veggies is not always your favorite thing, okay? So some of you are like, oh no, it's the best. No, I'm like, you've not had a steak, okay? You've not had it done right, okay? So here's the reality though, friends. Oftentimes, what we think of when it comes to the Lord is it's just like I got to stomach this part because I know it's good for me. When in reality, the very best stuff is the stuff God has for you. There's nothing else that will bring you the kind of delight, joy, satisfaction, purpose, life, health. There's nothing like God's ways. Here's what God's instruction for raising a family looks like in the book of Deuteronomy. To Moses, he spoke this to the nation of Israel. And I think there's so much in it that we need to be reminded of today. He says, listen, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly, there's that word again, to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as a reminder. 
See, what God is telling us, friends, is that we are to teach our families His ways. We are to teach our kids His commands. We are to do it all the time. He says at home, away, when you're here or there or anywhere, no matter what you are doing, make sure you're using it as an opportunity to teach your family, your kids, about the faithfulness, the goodness, and the commands of God. Repeat them over and over and over again. Why? Once again, friends, because following and obeying God's commands will lead to fruitfulness and blessing in your life. Here's how David starts the book of Psalms. Psalm 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It begins like this. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Is that your prayer for your family? That they would be like trees planted along a riverbank, drawing nutrient and source from the river. That they would bear fruit in season and out of season. And that they would prosper in everything they do. Do you want to be a family like that? Do you want to see your kids live their life like that? then what Jesus is calling you and I to be reminded of today is that that is only possible, friends, as we follow and submit ourselves to His Lordship. You cannot lead yourself into this kind of blessing. Only the Lord can lead you there. And the only way for the Lord to lead you is for you to be a follower. For you to listen to His words. For you, as David says, to meditate on his words. For you to be reminded constantly of what God has said. And then from there, to live it out. So this is the final one, decision four. That we have to choose daily to serve the Lord. We have to choose daily to serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15 Going on, says, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors that they serve beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. This is one of the most famous statements in all of the Old Testament. And rightfully so, because it so expresses this heart of a leader, Joshua, over his people. And right at the end of his life, in these simple words, we find God's will for our lives expressly stated. He says we are to serve the Lord. Again, six times in two verses. Serve the Lord. We are to do everything in our power to see that our family follows our examples. I believe right now we need a new generation of Joshua's. 
We need a generation of believers who are willing, first and foremost, to commit our own lives that I will serve the Lord. I'm only responsible for me. I can't serve the Lord for other people, so I'm going to serve the Lord myself. We need a generation of Joshua's who make this choice. Parents, we have a special obligation to set an example for our kids. We can hardly expect our kids to serve the Lord if we take our relationship with God so lightheartedly. And I'm just struck by Joshua's boldness. It's a public statement to the whole nation. He says, but as for me, and what he's saying is, you make your decisions. You make your decisions. You do what you're going to do, but just know this. This household, I and my family, we are going to serve the Lord. Let me just tell you, friends, in the culture in which we live, there will be a time where you as a family have to say, we're not going to do what everyone else around us is doing because as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. We're not going to allow culture to dictate what is right and what is wrong. We are going to be a people of the Word of God, led by His Spirit. We are not going to allow the changing winds that are happening around us, no matter what others might say. Joshua says, nope, as for me and my house, our decision is made. We are going to serve the Lord. Because you need to understand this, friends, serving the Lord doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't. Yet It has to be a choice that you make. Once again, how often do you have to make that choice? It daily sounds like the right answer, but it's even probably more like moment to moment, minute to minute. Will I serve the Lord in this decision? Will I serve the Lord in this moment? Will I serve and be obedient to what God is saying in this scenario, in this work interaction, in this opportunity with my children? Or will I go my own way? But as for me and my house, it's a personal decision. Have you made this decision? Have you decided, have you talked with your family about the stuff that is happening in our world? Do you regularly say to them, guys, this is what some people say and this is what some people are doing and we can love people and care about people, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Have you made up your mind about this? Have you decided, no, we are going to do what God says we should do? And the application, I believe, is really clear for us. You have to choose who you're going to serve. In the words of the great philosopher Bob Dylan, he says, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. See, nobody gets a free ride. Nobody can straddle the fence forever. There's no neutrality. You can't choose to stay neutral. By staying neutral, you've already made your choice. We have to decide who we are going to serve. Band, you can come up. So that's my question to you today. Have you decided? Have you made your decision? Have you decided we are going to serve the Lord? There's areas of my life that I know are challenging. There's areas of my life that I know are not in line with God's teaching and His Word. So today I'm going to say, it's not about me. I'm going to serve the Lord. 
I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to follow. Silver Creek Fellowship. I believe we live in a time in which our culture and the speed of which our culture is advancing is so rapidly moving away from more and more. Let me just say, I don't believe in the idea of a Christian nation. I believe people can be Christian, not nations can be Christian. But I also believe that there was a time in which certain biblical values were more closely held as a whole by a society and a people. And more and more we're seeing moving away from that. Now, don't just hear me and say, well, that's all bad, because it's much more clear today about whom you serve. Okay? You can't culturally just say, well, I'm a Christian because I am an American. Now the reality is you got to choose who you serve. But we have to choose, friends. We have to make this choice. We as God's people, if we want to see our families really step into God's dream for our life, it's going to take intentionality on our parts. We're going to need to be a grace-filled people who teach our kids the grace of the Lord. We're going to so desperately need to learn to worship together as a family. We're going to so desperately need to share our obedience and teach our families to serve and honor the Word of God. And we're so desperately going to need to make this choice daily. So here's how I'd like to encourage you as we end this message today. We have an opportunity right now to worship the Lord. We have an opportunity to worship the God who created the universe who spoke everything into existence, and who prepared in advance for you and I good things, good works for us to walk in. We have an opportunity to serve the Lord, capital L. He's present in this place with us today. Jesus is enthroned. His Spirit is alive and well and in us. And there's no better way for you to get back on track than for you just to come before the Lord today in humility and in worship and say, here I am, God, I choose today to serve the Lord. I make this choice today, and I need your help to make it next five minutes from now and an hour from now when I get home and tomorrow, God, I'm choosing today to serve you. So would you stand with me? And I just want you in your own heart, some of you it might help to use your mouth, Some of you might feel more comfortable just keeping it and saying it to the Lord on the inside. He hears it either way. I just want to encourage you as we begin to worship just to say to the Lord, I choose today to serve you, Lord. I choose today to serve you, Lord.